BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Here we go. Oh, tonight we got them. Goldie, the Sulk, and JC. Oh, welcome back to another episode of A Typical Disgusting Display, a podcast for writers, by writers who hate writing. So, uh, gang, this week uh, we've, we've had in-laws here, and uh, I get along very well with Tall's family, and they're all, they're all lovely people. Um, but Tall has uh, an uncle, Nuri. Okay, so on Tall's mother's side of the family, they're all uh, Israeli. They're from, from Israel. Okay. So Uncle Nuri has a voice like this. He talks like this. And he said, no, you know. I heard a story once that he, it was in New York City, ran into someone we knew in common, but they didn't know each other very well. They had an awkward moment of of silence on the street in New York City, and then he said to this other person who I don't know that well either, just said, "You know, Alec is at the Super Bowl." <laughs> First joke of the day. First joke <laughs> of the day. Just, no, he it. just had to throw in a little piece of information. Anyway, so Nuri is always very entertaining, and he was again on this trip. And something I noticed that I thought you would quite enjoy is he will not let a compliment of another country stand like anytime another country is brought up and you try to talk about it in a nice way he shoots it down for some reason i was talking about you know oh we were speculating like where would you like to live maybe and i was like you know what i i think i'd kind of like to live in like sweden or something highest suicide rate in the world <laughs> I, everybody killing themselves highest i said well you know we've been to copenhagen and that was a beautiful city I was there 20 below six months darkness. <laughs> I'm like, okay, well, I've always liked England. $15 for a cup of coffee. Like he won't, unless it's about the United States or Israel, there is no compliment about any country that can ever stand. And he has all the facts at hand. He's like, he does. <laughs> well, I didn't know if they were facts, oh. but, you know, I, I didn't facts. check the Sweden thing. It but. sounds like a fun app you could develop where yeah. you record him saying something about every country country and then you just on the app someone brings up a country and you press a button yes. <laughs> everybody killing themselves uh yeah so that was that was a very fun uh kind of pick me up part of the uh of the weekend but 
We're closing in on it, Goldie. It's that time of year. It's it's back to school time. I'm seeing the photos. I saw your Instagram. Uh, what what was the uh, the handoff for school like where you were? Well, you were just caught in a lie because I didn't post anything on my Instagram. Oh, I was like, I no, care. you did. Oh no, you didn't. You didn't. You sent me. Fo- you sent me. Fo- sent you sent me a very I sent funny, you a funny photo. photo thing. Yes. yes. Wow. Private. Yes. So I don't put. I don't put my kids on Instagram anymore. Sure. Uh, but yeah. So my youngest kid, and and remember, it's the middle of August and a hundred degrees out here. What better time to go back to school? <laughs> yeah, that crispness in the air. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> must be fall. Um, so my younger kid started second grade. And this got me back to thinking, you know, what was second grade like for me? And, oh. you know, I'm I'm so old now that there are things that they seem preposterous. Like, I remember when McDonald's didn't serve chicken. Yes. <laughs> like it, I, they, they very publicly were like, we're now serving chicken. So there was a time where they <laughs> said to themselves, like, who would want to eat chicken? No right. one's coming here for chicken. Like, when I was... In second grade, the sign outside McDonald's said eight served. <laughs> that's that's how old I am. Okay, so I'm a joke of the day. I'm a million years old. So I started thinking back, what was I doing in second grade? And the one main memory that came back to me was Ronald Reagan got shot. Yes. Oh wow. And I thought that this had happened in the fall. Like I thought I entered the doors of the school and Reagan was shot instantly, but I looked it up and it and it happened in March. And so I remember we get to school and the yeah. the mood was very somber and the teacher sat us all down on the carpet and said, you know, the, the president has been shot. How does you know, how does everyone feel? And I remember thinking, well, my dad hates him, so <laughs> it's not that big a deal You're to right. me. <laughs> because my dad would always, whenever Reagan came on the screen, my dad hated the fact that during World War II, he made world like war films. And yes. so he was like, oh. you know, I was there when they were firing real bullets. <laughs> Where was Ronald? <laughs> so, it's, you know, so he, he hated So. Anyway, I I remember kind of everyone else being really upset, but I was kind of like, well, you know, maybe things will pick up at home a little bit. Um, <laughs> but then my teacher said the weirdest thing that has stayed to me till till this day, and I was trying to remember why it was a thought in my head, and it was only yesterday I realized it was implanted in this moment. So we had been kind of quietly mourning and going around. Yeah saying our feelings for 45 minutes and then the teacher said you know you can shoot anyone if you're willing to die yourself oh my whoa. god whoa <laughs> this is second grade wow. yes wow. Holy so, sh- this has just been a thought in my head going on over 40 years right. that i was I thought I was a psychopath, and it was like, no, it was, it was like implanted in me at a very impressionable age. Can we can we get a name check on the second grade teacher? <laughs> no, I, I long dead. Long, oh, long yeah. dead. Okay, yeah, because yeah, yeah. my my second grade teacher. See, we th- these are the different childhoods we had. I remember I was actually outside playing basketball when Reagan was shot. I don't know why on that day, but I was, and then I was called in to watch. I don't know what an eight year old would glean from watching. Yeah. Slow motion of the president getting shot. Um, but uh, my second grade teacher, her name was Mrs. Dyer. And so, mm. of course, instantly, I, you, whenever she would turn around, I would elbow the other 
students in my class and say, that's a diarrhea. Oh, God. <laughs> so I had... That's pretty sophisticated. I know. I had, I had Witzelsucht syndrome yes. from an early age. Yeah. Also, Jim... Like- James Brady got the worst end of that deal. Oh, yeah. Remember what happened? That guy? They, they, so James Brady was uh, Reagan's uh, press secretary. Press secretary. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he was with him that day when Reagan got shot, and he caught a stray bullet in the head. Oh. And he lived, but he was, you know, diminished in a wheelchair, could barely talk. So they passed something called the Brady Bill, oh. which was basically, I think it was like a waiting period to for people to buy guns. So something positive you know came out of it but it's interesting to think especially the political climate we're in today as a kid i liked reagan like i wasn't old enough to to know like policies and you know uh elite class and lower class like i I didn't really i wasn't sophisticated i was at the diarrhea (laughs) so but i just knew when reagan came on and gave a speech i was like he's good at giving a speech i like listening to him talk So yeah. I was kind of sad. Most of America was, was probably like that, yeah, too. Yeah, a mark of a true psychopath. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're really fun to be around. Yeah, no, they're... Got a no, they're ruining this full country. of bodies, but sure. <laughs> but sure. now they don't even try to be likable. That's what's funny. I know, that's what's changed. Right. The veneer of civility is gone. Yeah. Um, all right, well, that's a, 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 a... I won't say a fond memory, but... No, memory. it's so just... second grade. Yeah, hopefully it'll go grade. better for my kid. Yes, <laughs> did for me. Maybe Biden will just trip on some steps and that'll be their memory. Hey, we're not at the Johnny jokes yet. <laughs> oh, sorry about that. Um, but speaking of that, we I think, uh, JC, we had an interesting email that uh, we wanted to read before Johnny jokes. Could yes. you spit yes. that one out for us? This came this morning from um, our friend Rod Perry. Hi, Rod. Hey, Rod. Um, okay, it's very brief. It says, I'm very concerned for Goldie's kid. IKEA does not make mistakes with their pre-drilled holes, not in this era of mass production. If he drilled his own, it means something was assembled backwards or out of order, and this bed is an accident waiting to happen. So this goes back to last week when Goldie yes. was putting together a bed from IKEA, which we talked about, it bore some good comedy fruit. So Goldie, what did you yes. think of this email? Well, I'll just put it to you. Guess who's wrong? Me or the multi-billion dollar furniture company? (laughs) (laughs) So I realized two days later after going on this rant, like, oh, yeah, I didn't need to drill those holes. and Everything was right. The bed I put together and the bed is great and the bed's fine and the structural integrity is good. Um, I'm not going to apologize, though, I've decided. No Good. need. Never, yeah, like, I, I, yeah, no. Yeah. I, I just am going to say, like, both I was wrong, I slandered them, and I'm not going to apologize. Yeah, no need. <laughs> you're, the, you're the Marvin Hagler of comedy, never a backward step. I love I, it. Why can't we live in a world of contradictions? Let's do it. <laughs> we do. Yeah. I'm wrong. Up. They're right. I don't apologize. <laughs> I love that. Whoa, sweet man cave. Thanks. Serious upgrade. How'd you pay for all this? I got a home equity line of credit from Figure. I was approved in five minutes and had funding in five days. Wow, that fast and easy? Yep. The application is 100% online, plus no out-of-pocket costs. Just fast access to the cash you need. How do I get started? Go to figure.com and get that serious upgrade. 
Figure Lending LLC DBA Figure Equal Opportunity Lender NMLS 1717824 Terms and Conditions Apply Visit Figure.com for more information For licensing information Go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org uh, well, Alright, well we're laughing already So let's get in to Johnny Jokes From Hollywood Where school starts the minute after dance Here's Johnny Back in school, that nip in the air. It's 98 today, crispy fall day. Um, Well, maybe you heard about this. A new study shows that it's a myth that women don't want sex as they age. Uh, You know, I've always thought that my wife is a mythical figure. (laughs) Hmm. It's a myth. It's a myth. I kind of get it. Or you could could say, Goldie, swing in a myth. (laughs) There it is. All right. On to the the next. (laughs) On to the first. (laughs) On to the first. That was just an amused douche. Okay. Here we go. Mark Zuckerberg and Elon Musk have apparently made it official and will fight in the Roman Colosseum. Ooh. As if that weren't enough, the undercard will be a fight to the death between Facebook aunts and Twitter trolls. Yeah. Okay. Amuse douche. Uh, here's one that's sure to tickle your funny bone. A new plaque in Chicago commemorates where the Dave Matthews tour bus dumped 800 pounds of human waste oh, yeah. into the river. <laughs> Uh, it was a bold move by the whiny balladeer, as he usually saves the human waste for his albums. Oh, wow. wow. <laughs> Not a fan. Damien Fahey will be upset about Not that. Not a but... fan, <laughs> Fahey. Um, and finally, here's a, a quick one, finally. Organizers <laughs> are looking for a venue for a gay classical music festival. Tanglewood? <laughs> Johnny too. There you go. There you go. I'm just. I'm warning you already. I d- I don't have a closer. We don't. You you always this say this, just, and it's always yeah. great. No, these yeah. are. It's straight C minuses today. Here we go. All right. Well, homelessness in Los Angeles is at an all time high. Yeah, uh, it's so bad. Ninety percent of college graduates are still living in their parents' tent. <laughs> okay. Uh, Donald Trump supporters and Ron DeSantis supporters got into a massive fist fight at the Iowa State Fair. Uh, fortunately, officials were able to step in and break things up after everyone got hurt. <laughs> Very obvious. Yeah, we like it, though. Skittles. Skittles, the candy company Skittles. Yeah. Is facing backlash over a new pro-LGBTQ plus packaging. Yeah. Uh, conservative groups want to boycott, urging everyone to stop buying their usual one pack every eight years. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, like I like that one. That could have been a norm. Maybe it would have been better as a norm. Uh, you know what? I'll, I'll just say, and finally, I'm going to skip. Okay. I'm going to skip. Uh, President Biden is reportedly considering a diplomatic trip to Australia. Uh, interesting question. When he's in Australia, will Biden fall up the stairs? It's fine. It's fine. I love that. It's I all stepped, fine. I stepped on your Biden ahead of time. I apologize. 
Oh, okay. Fans, we have a treat today. You know, oftentimes on the show, we talk to the likes of of Mike Scully or uh, Danny Smith, and they have an anecdote about Lou Wasserman or Barry Diller, and we can embrace <laughs> the golden age of Hollywood, uh, thanks to them. But we like to take a different tack sometimes and talk to a writer who is on his way up in the business, relatively new to get a fresh perspective. Um, so today we have young writer Dimitri Pompey with us. We are excited. And his backstory is vastly different than most writers. And we're going to get into that today. Dimitri, thank you so much for being with us today. Yeah, well, number welcome. one, thank you for having me. Uh, number two, this always happens every time I do a podcast. I did a I did a podcast for my old grad school, which is like, what are you doing with our with our degree that we gave you? Yeah. And like the person <laughs> before me was like Michelle Obama's chief of staff. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, I write fart jokes at Disney and I lobbied <laughs> my showrunner super hard to get that joke in. Like, <laughs> like I looked at the I, I love the show. I'm a listener. I like the show a lot. I'm a huge fan. And just went I, from love to like. Very yeah, I, I changed my mind. <laughs> uh, that you did it happened again. You have you have Matt Friend, who's amazing, great at impressions. You have Jay Kang, who's like one of the phenomenal writers of our time. You have David Goodman, no qualifications necessary, and then me. Like, oh, God. Oh come on. Like, well, my, you know what? You have the writer mentality down already. You, yeah, you hate you. You talk yourself down, and that's a good attribute for a comedy writer. <laughs> well, this You're is nailing that. This is how Dimitri came into our orbit. Was I was at a WGA event? It was a networking event, and we met. And I, I saw in him like a young me. I mean, he he really like <laughs> it was like. But the 2.0 version where they kind of like, it's like he has hair. They're like, this time we'll give him hair. We'll make him like yeah, a little more pleasant to everyone. He'll, you know, his his well, face will default into a smile and not like sort of a glare. We'll, we'll, change, we'll change his race to like appeal to that urban demographic this time. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be great. But so we were just kind of pointed at each other and he's he's from, you know, the same region of the country as us. Oh, cool. Um but you know, it's I, I saw many of the comedy writer attributes, and and we were you know it was like sort of two guns firing directly into each other when we got together. He's absolutely right. Like the moment we started talking, like I could just tell. So like honestly, I don't know if you remember, but like I was like, yeah, man, I was like super nervous because like I've read your stuff, I like I grew up on a lot of your stuff, I loved your shows, and I was like, oh man, I have no idea what I'm going to say. To this guy, like we we start logging on, and you're just like, oh god, my fucking back hurts it's killing me he's like he's complaining immediately i'm like that's my guy that's my guy got along like a house on fire <laughs> that's awesome so now goldie mentioned that we all grew up except jc who's a no-cal girl we grew up um in but the same in region of the country you grew up in new hampshire is that right i, I am a proud citizen of the great state of new hampshire cool uh we, the frozen chosen we call ourselves um, <laughs> i love i love the place because no one wants anything to do with it it's kind of like brigadoon and only shows up once every four years for like a presidential <laughs> primary and then we just kind of go away <laughs> like, i love that stuff i just it's it's the best place to grow up it's a wonderful place to retire it's just like this 50 to 70 years in the middle you want to go do something else 
So uh, <laughs> where in New Where in New Hampshire did you grow up? Uh good old Manchester, the Queen City, Manchester, well, so, Vegas, as we call it. This is this is a, a comedy hub, Manchester. Oh. You have yeah. Seth Meyers, Adam Sandler, Sarah Silverman, and Whoa. now Dimitri Pompey. Well, I think oh. Ronnie Chang came before me, but also, yeah, yes. <laughs> oh, I, but no, we've got we've got some we've got some real heavy hitters. Like Adam Sandler went to my my high school's rival school. And Ooh. he shows up and does like the the uh, the commencement speech every every couple of years, and like it's always a huge deal. Like it's the one time aside from the presidential prime where like Manchester actually matters because like traffic is terrible because everyone wants to see Adam Sandler give a speech. I'm like this sucks, man. Like <laughs> our school was founded at like after Vietnam to like honor everyone who died, and they get like Adam Sandler. Like this, this is a nightmare. And does he does he put on his dress shorts for those commencement speeches? <laughs> Only the finest dress shorts. He just does impressions. He does all the old bits, and like the kids are like, "What are you talking about, old man?" It's really great. <laughs> That's amazing. But I, you know, I'm when you speak fondly of it, I'm I'm always a little surprised because I've I've found it uniquely unwelcoming, New Hampshire. Uh, I've had fireworks thrown at me twice in my life, and both times were in New Hampshire. <laughs> Hell yeah! Uh, once out of a moving car while I was on a bicycle. I uh, said so, I was sorry. Leave me alone. <laughs> so, how did you find it growing up? Were you born there? I, I like. I know that your I know your family immigrated from Haiti, but you were born here. I was right? I was born in Elliott Hospital in Manchester, New Hampshire. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I I absolutely loved it. Like I understand. Like. There are no black people in New Hampshire that I'm not related to. Like it's vague. It's, like, it's a state of a million people, and there's like ten thousand of us. But like it never was an issue. I remember like very specific instances from my childhood, like a racist event would occur, and like people would swoop in within seconds. See, like that is fucked up. Like I've wow. never felt unwelcome there. That's like, that, great. It's always it's been my home. It's funny because like, I I sort of share that. Like coming from Massachusetts, and that was you know, a few weeks ago on here. I talked about going to uh, a hot springs in Colorado, and there was a guy with a Nazi yeah. tattoo. And I feel like a group would have materialized thirty years ago and beaten the shit out of this person. Right. And then they, but now in Colorado, it's just like, oh, okay. Yeah, like, it's hey, where'd you get that fresh ink? I want some. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. I, I, it's funny. I I love what you said about New Hampshire people sort of swooping in instantly to say, hey, that's wrong. I feel like, and Goldie, correct me if I'm if I'm wrong on this, but Massachusetts had kind of a different vibe where Massachusetts, like, they are, I would say, progressive globally, but bigots locally, mm-hmm. you know, Boston. where it's sort so of racist. like they want to be out front like, hey, we're the, you know, the liberal elite blue state up here and don't you try that racist bullshit, you know, America but then when it comes to, like, having a black guy on the Red Sox, they're like, look at that goddamn bum. You know, right. he doesn't hustle. And it's just uh, all the, the I think he, if you leave Boston in certain suburbs, it it devolves very quickly into the Deep South. Yeah, I could <laughs> oh, be Boston talking. Particularly as you approach, so like, the Vermont border, like, you'll bizarrely start seeing Confederate flags and stuff. Like, it's... Wow. It's yeah. that's weird. it's a weird place. And I no, would say I mean, New Hampshire's weirder. Be, and then as you go into Maine, it just gets like deliverance banjo time outside of Portland. (laughs) No, I lived in Boston. I find that to be the most racist city I've ever been to by far, hands down. Whoa. Whoa. Really? 
Yeah. I mean, I, Dawson like, has a very sordid past. I, I just <laughs> have, I mean, have you spent some time in the South and like kind of face it out of your memory? <laughs> no, I stay away from the South. But yeah, no, honestly, it is so, so in your face in Boston. I, I'd never experienced anything like it. Until I live there, so don't let a few hundred thousand bad apples. <laughs> 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 a few hundred thousand bad apples ruin the whole orchard. So, uh, growing up in New Hampshire, did you also have a Camaro, or was it was it a different car, <laughs> or a Subaru? Yeah. You, my, my dad, much like every immigrant father, my dad latched onto Toyota very, very early. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like, awesome. He drove, like, well after my siblings and I grew up, he was still driving his Toyota minivan because awesome. he wanted to get to one million miles. He got very close. Oh, one wow. million? He wanted to get to, I showed him a story of a guy who, like, had, a, like, rolled his Toyota over to a million miles. And he's like, I want to do that with the van. I was like, please oh. don't. Like it's not safe. I love that. Like it's I I I was given like the, the the Toyota that was passed down from my sister to my brother. Camaro. I mean that would have been a dream. All my yeah. friends certainly had one, but no, I was driving the the jalopy Toyota all throughout school. Yeah. Well, like early on, so I assume you were funny and and had this personality was. Was what was your family's reaction? Was were they because you know even when I was growing up to be a, in comedy was unfathomable. Like it didn't. I didn't even know that was really a job. I mean, was this something you had an awareness of that writing and show business was a potential career, or is it just like you happen to be a funny person now? Go do something really serious. I had absolutely no clue. And number one, I don't think I'm funny. But number two, no, like, I, I absolutely had no idea that, that was a viable path. I remember like the first time I like remember making a person laugh was like I was like maybe a kid. My parents are very religious, so they make me go. To, they made me go to this church, and like people would be like, like, like this guy would like always like he was a he was a cool guy. He was a funny guy, but he, like he'd always like you know harangue me, be like, hey, what's going on? And I'm like, oh, God, leave me alone. And one day he like he gave he asked me some annoying question. I was just so tired of answering it. I just slapped my head and did the Homer Simpson do, and like that was like the funniest thing in that church that had ever happened. Like that was actually thirty years ago, and I still, when I go home to New Hampshire, people, my parents are like, "Hey, remember that time you slapped your head and said do?" Like, really, really? That's and like I just, I, I like the sensation of making people laugh. Like it was fun. It was a, a cool thing to do. It made me feel good. And they weren't talking about Jesus when they were laughing. So I was like, right. let's see if I can maximize how many. Laughs win win. It was great. <laughs> it's like, you know, I don't, my parents are, you know, they've done so much for me. And I guess in English, they are not funny at all. Like, I remember <laughs> I asked my dad one day, like, you know, we were, I was talking to my dad, I was going to go see a stand up show. And he was like, you people pay for stand up. I can tell jokes for free. I was like, great, tell me one right now. It was the dumbest, worst, <laughs> nonsensical joke ever. I don't even remember it. It made no sense. But apparently in Haitian Creole, he is absolutely hilarious like wow, I, yeah. don't, I don't speak the language i tried and i don't languages are not a gift of mine but we went to like a, a haitian barbecue once and like he's just like commanding the room people are slapping their knees like comedy from your dad i'm like hey, all right so i guess that answers part of the question aside from your dad uh who, who i guess would did not quite translate uh comedy into english what kinds of stuff 
were you watching as a kid that that made you laugh? Uh, that's you know you're, you're 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 bringing me back to some of my favorite times. You know, my parents again they were immigrants for you know they get they didn't have a lot of money, so yeah. cable was a luxury that came later as you know you know their lot improved. But you know when you don't have cable, you get PBS, you get the Big Four. So yeah. I, I it's it's I got Bonanza a lot, which you know is a drama, <laughs> but it's also very fun. There's some great episodes of Bonanza. It like, is. I didn't know that. Yes, I didn't know absolutely. that. Absolutely. Well, see, the fact that you're laughing at that kind of stuff tells me that you you should be a comedy writer because if you can see what's hilarious about a show like Bonanza, then you're on the right track. <laughs> Look, there's great comedy minds from like every week a woman meets little Joe and then she has to suddenly leave town or die. Like that's hilarious. Like that's fantastic. Like what were they thinking? But I, I, I grew up, I grew up on like oh, some of the, some of the great hits of the eighties. Cause those were always in reruns. Remember reruns they don't do that anymore, but yeah. uh, you know, happy days. I loved happy days. I absolutely yeah, loved yeah. happy Same. days. I know yeah. Beaver, Beaver, Green Acres, uh, Dick, uh, uh, what's Dick Van Dyke. Yeah. Uh, oh, Dick Van Dyke show has aged better than anything. Oh, and in, yes. in, in entertainment, one of the finest yeah. shows ever. But like Agreed. then, like as things improved, my family, like my family, got a little more money, you know, a little more employment stability. When we finally got cable, then I started watching, you know, the great living singles and uh, <laughs> Frasier, game changer for me, absolute oh, yeah. game changer. Yeah. Uh, cool. I watched Family Guy in the basement because I knew if my family saw me watching <laughs> right. Family Guy, I would never watch TV ever again. <laughs> <laughs> I remember, I was actually, I was actually the first time it got canceled. I wrote an email to Fox saying that I bring it back. I remember very specifically. I wrote like, Aww. "Dear Fox, I hat you. Bring back Family Guy." <laughs> <I hat you. laughs> wait, wait, wait! Yeah, I got goosebumps just thinking about That's it. That's so yeah. cool. You're one of the people that wrote in. I know in. you that saved was... us. Thank you. You're very <laughs> welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Please don't think of me as a hero. I'm just a man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it, it's really it's really telling because like. A lot of the shows that I have come up on, like I, I now meet those people on the line. Of course, we'll talk about the strike at some point, I'm sure. But yeah, yeah I, I just, I'm not a person who gets like starstruck very often, but I do hold a lot of writers in reverence. And like when I meet them, it's like, oh my God, thank you so much. <laughs> the only reason why I laugh is because of you. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's really, it's surreal, honestly. It really is. Like, hey, like, I, I, one of my favorite shows of all time is clone high uh chris miller phil lord bill yeah. lawrence i have that was like the first show i ever watched that was like this show is specifically for me oh, and wow. that's why it's going to get canceled and that's exactly <laughs> what happened like i love that show love that's that show. a very goldy attitude oh well. mine was i i don't even know if you'll remember this show there was briefly a show called the marshall chronicles oh yes <laughs> i don't even know that Wait, wait. That, it was like a, a New York City kid, and he just was like he was like a little Woody Allen essentially, right? Oh, I yeah. mean, and he was in this kind of tough New York City school, and try, and I was like, oh my god, this is me! Like Very I'm this hurt. nerd in this school where like the first day I got beat up twice, really. Uh, <laughs> You know, and then it's, I, and then of course it lasted like four episodes. And right, nineteen ninety, yeah, ninety. Yep. Okay. Adam wow. Sandler was on that, I believe. Really? Wow, wow! I had never heard of that. Yeah, never heard. Not, of not it. like a big role or anything. Just like you know. Oh, yeah. That's so funny. All right, so you're laughing in New Hampshire. 
And then you go to uh, grade schools. Yeah, I think you went to GW. I did for grad school. I went to James Madison for undergrad. There you go. So you like schools named after people. Yeah, yeah. I, I will that. not attend your school unless you own slaves. That's my, <laughs> that's my personal policy. Uh, I feel like I should specify for the audio listeners. I'm a black person. I know I don't sound like Typically, I'm doing air quotes now. But yeah, I am, in fact, a black person. So I get to make these jokes. These are mine. Right. <laughs> yes, you own them. Please don't of course, I didn't know people. I didn't notice that because I don't see color. Um, but yeah, that's, that's such an annoying comment. I, hate I that. know. Apparently, but, that's also considered racist now. Yeah, like, that's, 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 that's not a great, not a great look. But um, so you studied, I believe, public policy. Um, I, I, I did. Yes. Yeah, and and wow. then you after school, you weren't out to Hollywood to become a writer. Tell the folks what you did after school. I, I was, in fact, a, a, a government relations representative, a lobbyist. I was a lobbyist. Yeah. Right, right. And I, 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 I loved, I love, I mean, to this day, even though it is a very abusive now, I love politics. I mean, I still do. Like, I did campaigns when, when I was a child. You know, I, was, I was working the mayoral races, the congressional campaigns, Senate campaigns, both Barack Obama things. So, you know, I've, I've, I've always loved policy. Like, that's what I wanted to be originally. I wanted to be a senator, mostly because I heard about the wonderful health care. But uh, <laughs> I, I, I've, oh, I, my goal in college was to study political science, go back to New Hampshire, become a legislator, which you can do very easily there. Our, le- our state legislature has so many unqualified bums. Like I was thrilled. I was getting ready to be one. I was going to work my way up to being governor and then be a senator. That was my original right. plan. Wow. 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 So still could happen. Yeah. 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 Well, <laughs> so the change came. Like I remember I was in a class, right? It was a, a campaign class, campaigns and senior year of college. And I read this wonderful book by James Carville and Mary Matlin called All's Fair. It's about how, like, he ran the Clinton campaign and she she ran the HW campaign and somehow they got married and it still works somehow. And, you know, it was like, this is a very fascinating book. And I get to the part where James Carville, one of the most successful political actors of our time, is like, yeah, I was 42 years old, sleeping on couches, and my candidates oh. were failures. And I'm like, oh, oh, oh fuck this. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you. Uh, like, I, it's some cost fallacy. Like, I put all this time into politics. What else can I do? Because I thought about some more. It's like, you know, I don't really like campaigning. I don't like phone calls. I don't like fundraising. I don't really like the American voter at all in general. Like, I remember very specifically one time I was I was out I was out doing some campaigning for you know I believe it was I want to say it was Barack Obama at the time, and I asked the guy, "Hey man, do you think your healthcare should be like cheap and good?" And he said, "No." Like, I can't work with that. Like I can't work with that. So I'm like, what else can I do? that allows me to use what I've learned and still work in politics and actually like make some changes. And I was like, you know, I'll, I'll try. I'll, I'll be a lobbyist. That'd be great. I saw that George Washington had a wonderful program at the Graduate School of Political Management, $32,000 in two years. You can be good. You, you get a nice little master's degree and you get to be a lobbyist. So that's so what I, I But wow. I mean, you say you get to be a lobbyist, but obviously that that's not how it happens. I mean, how does it, what actually happens? Like you... 
you apply. You go to a job board. I mean, I'm, yeah. now I'm so old. No, you know, I know what you outside mean. of show business, I don't know how people are getting jobs. You go on Monster.com. Yeah, you, you, you bring LinkedIn. your resume there in person, just like your dad always said. And like, why don't you ask them to like look at your resume and give you a job? No. Yeah. <laughs> now, what what had happened? Like, I there there are many different ways to do it, but yeah, you know, it's not unlike Hollywood. Like, there is a specific, there's a preferred path, and I was like that is something i don't want to do and that's a recurring theme in my life like there's a there's a preferred way to do a thing and then there's a way that works for me so i go do that instead yeah, so like good. you can you can be on capitol hill as like a legislative assistant for years you know growing in a senate office growing in a house office and you're getting paid dick Paying, working 80 hour weeks, like actually making laws and like getting no respect, which is one great way to, you meet a lot of contacts, you grow your knowledge in the institution. I got a master's degree and then I went on USA Jobs, a, the hiring agent of the United States government. And I looked for any, for any place that wanted someone to be a legislative specialist. That's what they call their government relations teams, legislative affairs specialist, something like that. And the top contender was the United States Navy. They were hiring, looking for someone with exactly my skill set. They were looking for a civilian who had a deep understanding of the legislative process. And I was like, that's me. I got this piece of paper to prove it. And I got it. Wow. That's awesome. And, and at the time where you, you know, because when I used to have real jobs in my head, I, the second I would walk in, I would go, I know I don't want to be doing this. This <laughs> all feels wrong. Were you having like illicit thoughts of comedy or were you <laughs> saying like, I'm on my way to bigger and better things in Washington? Yeah, you know, it's a great, it, I like that question a lot because I was remarkably late to this, to this career path, even thinking about because I, Growing up in New Hampshire, no one tells you that like writing comedy is a, a viable career. No, I didn't know where stuff on TV. Like I literally thought Cheers was made in Boston, probably. <laughs> if right. I thought about it at all, like I really gave no thought to it. Right, it would just appear. Yeah, it, it, exactly. It just shows up, and it, if you if you like tell you it's a job, like you still have no idea how it works. And like it's like if someone asked you, "Hey, would you like to be the Secretary General of the United Nations?" Yeah, that sounds awesome. I have no idea. No right. way whatsoever you get that job. Yeah, like I get jury duty. I don't even know what happens in a trial. Like I, I wouldn't know who speaks first and then for how long and then when who's calling what. And I, you know, when one side's like, I check, I call, you know. And, 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 and then you're like, I guess it's over. Go decide. I, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know. I share that with you. So, so you were not really I mean, because it it was so alien that it yeah. didn't occur to you. What, what what was interesting, like like there was always this little like drive, like even through college, I would always want to like do something that was deeply creative. Like I would go to class, I do okay. Like I did a, I did a college radio for a time. I loved that. Oh, cool. I thought I wanted yeah. to work at NPR, so I tried. I did an internship for NPR, and that didn't work out. So I was like, you know, I don't know why I'm getting away from government. Government's what I want to do. Lobbying is what I want to do. Like let's. Let's keep doing that. But like, even when I'm lobbying, like there's always like this little, hmm, something's, nothing, something's not quite right. And like, were I, you the funny lobbyist? I absolutely was. Yeah, I absolutely <laughs> Like there's the, the, the apparatus that is the United States military 
is just loaded with comedy. It really is. Like yeah, the, the, the whole like spending $32 on a hammer, like the fact that like the, the United States military admitted early on in the Trump administration, it's like, we just lost like billions of dollars. We have no idea where it is and we're not going to look for it. Like that's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> like, imagine anyone else doing that same thing, being like, and just getting away with it, Scott. Yeah. Like, like that's amazing. But I remember I was visiting a friend of mine. I had my then girlfriend at our, she was a year behind me at our same school. And we were watching that glorious Thursday night block that was around in like 2012-ish, where it was 30 Rock, The Office, Community, and Parks and Rec, back to back to back to back. Yeah. And like, I remember I had never seen an episode of Community before, but I happened to get there on Paintball 2. And I was so blown away by what I saw. I was like, this is the funniest thing I've ever seen in my life. It's deeply dorky. It's beautifully sincere these characters feel like i want to be their best friend this might be the greatest thing i've ever seen in my life wow and then i was like i wonder i wonder if that's a thing you can do as a job and <laughs> then i put that thought in a little ball and i threw it away because i'm a dc lobbyist and that's what i do and years the, the thought just con- it continued to fester for years for years it's like gosh that tv writing sounds interesting and i would just keep throwing it away yeah. and finally right or I, I remember right around it must have been 2014 something absurd had happened at the pentagon and i actually said out loud this place could be a sitcom and if no <laughs> one's gonna write it I'll do it. So I I was like, look, it's just a fun thing I can do after hours. I took some classes online with the Second City. They were glorious. The first TV writing course I ever took there, it it changed my life. It really did. Like, I was blown away. I was like, wait, this is how they do it. This is how they construct scripts. This is how they make jokes. This is how they make themes and grow characters. Like, it was like seeing, it was like, it was Plato's cave. I came out and I saw the sun. And like fire would never do ever again. Like I want to stay out here in the sun. So I took more classes. I just took more classes. I took, I spent God knows how much money on these classes, but like each one was like, you know, a student loan payment. I was like, I'm never going to pay the damn thing off anyway. I'll just skip this month. And I took every class that I could until finally one of the teachers there who has become a dear friend and mentor was like, you know, you clearly want to do this like and you're not that bad at it which was just the highest praise (laughs) there if you want there are a number of viable paths for a person like you but i would recommend you take the path of the network fellowship because Mm. they're they're designed for you know minority candidates uh, are people who are from typically excluded groups and i was like well i'm from new hampshire that's a minority group (laughs) yeah there you go (laughs) and they also cater to people who have other experience and that is my favorite kind of writer a person who's done something else yes like anytime (laughs) i open i love reading things i love helping people who are on the on the come up because like i i needed help and i pay it forward right Mm -hmm. the least favorite thing that i see when i open a script is exterior los angeles and the slug line was like 
God. Because <laughs> I know exactly what it's going to be. It's going to be about a writer or an actor who tried it in the city and it didn't work out. And now they have to go back to the old family business in the Midwest. And they oh, man, these yokels don't understand me because I'm from Hollywood. Like, oh, I hate this. I hate this so much. I was going to say, I feel like, again, you and Goldie are kindred spirits on, on this stuff. Well, I, I do mean, think, I, I do think, you know, I, I, I hated the years from 22 to 30 when I was doing all this IT work and doing stand up, you know, and it was like, I felt like I'd go to work and it was like fight club. Like I'd been up all night and I was all, my face was all fucked up. But I, I do think that like, you've, you've got to get some, some marks on you, you know, and that, that was, you know, when you started telling me your story, I, I felt you had made a good choice a in doing this because you have the personality for it and then and the skill and then b in that this thing that you bring both your background from new hampshire and then this legislative thing which you know i think you're going to crack this in a way that's going to be very lucrative like i i i know you've tried a few iterations but i think there's definitely it's like you're in a gold mine and you're just sort of getting dust and it's indicative that there is something right there and you're like on top of it. And you're just, you know, I, I feel like you've, you've circled it a few times and you're right there. Well, I really appreciate that, man. I know I know you brought me here for many reasons, mostly my face. But it's, uh, <laughs> like, the perspective of the younger writer is yes. you know, something that you specifically came. And again, we can talk about all that later. I don't want to interrupt your flow. Of questions, no, but, like, we have no flow. <laughs> I feel like I'm just rambling at points. No, but, yeah. no, we we no, no. love it. We that's love what it. You're that's here what to do. that's what a podcast is. Yeah. Rambling. Uh, before we do any of that, though, since we are on the subject of my time in government, would you like to hear my absolute favorite lobbying story that ever happened? Yes, please, because yes. I wanted to ask you this anyway, because you were talking earlier about you know you have no conception of like you know Secretary General of the UN like. I the only thing when when you say oh I was a lobbyist all I picture is like glad handing people out at dinner <laughs> like that's all I think of as a lobbyist like mm-hmm. so tell us tell us this story of of being a lobbyist so I can understand it a little bit better a- absolutely you know I have a bad habit of joining industries at the worst possible time <laughs> like I started lobbying like after Jack Abramoff ruined it for everyone like yeah. there no more expensive dinners or you know. Uh, like million dollar stakes like i got in <laughs> after all the regulations came in it's like you have to behave yourself you can't even accept a cup of coffee I'm like this sucks man <laughs> <laughs> terrible but basically you know i when i was working for the i learned i, I lobbied for the navy and i worked for the postal service those are my two dc positions right. and because those are public industries like the idea of like the lobbyist passing the big sack of money across the table it's not a thing can't do that's it. yeah that's okay. what i picture that if we all we all think about Thank You for Smoking, which is one of the greatest lobbying movies ever because yeah, the only one I can really think funny. of. And <laughs> not like that anymore, at least not okay. where I was. Basically, like I would come, we would we would come in and we would have a, the, the the Navy or the Postal Service legislative agenda for the year. Like these are the things we want to accomplish. And you would get either a set number of members or a set number of states. And it's like these are your people. You are to take our platform and sell it to them. Like, yeah. we want to advance this bill. We want to defeat this bill. We want this amount of money for this program. And you're the one to go get to them. So it's an interesting game of figuring out how to take this one, I, this one set of ideas 
and pitch it to the most different people because the way you lobby Ted Cruz is completely different from the way you lobby Dianne Feinstein. Like Dianne Feinstein, you just kind of go, you act like Ronald Reagan's still the president and like make her comfortable and that works. <laughs> but like, it, it's, it's an interesting game of figuring out what everyone wants and then how to achieve your goal through their wants. Here's a real example. Like this is what, what, what made grad school so valuable. We learned that basically every legislator wants three things in varying capacity. They want to get reelected, obviously. They want to pass real policies and they want to grow their power in the institution. And your job is to figure out where, what the level of each of those is and how you can tailor our programs and what we're looking for to those goals. Again, here's a real example. I'll not name the person for the, because, you know, Sure, why not? But I'll, I'll spare them. I'll give them their dignity on this one. But the, we, we were we actively wanted to get like a a new type of greener engine for the Navy. You know, we want our ships to be a little cleaner, a little greener, drop a little less, and a little less uh, trash in the ocean. That'd be tight, absolutely. But one of the people that we wanted to get was a person who was very anti-green initiatives like they they're from an oil rich part of the country and they see green initiatives as an existential threat so we sat down and we looked and we were like well we're not going to get him on the green issues but one of his priorities i named it it's a guy i know a male said <laughs> uh, it's, it's a guy one of his big issues is like his territory has a lot more military casualties than the average congressional area. So a big issue for him was I would like to, you know, take I would like to resolve this. I would like to bring our casualties down and bring our bring our fellas home, even though, you know, it's not just guys anymore. Um, but we we actually sat down, we rethought the strategy is like, you know, we told them the best way to attack our sailors is when they're refueling. Like you're a sitting duck, you can't move, you can't fight back. Oh. You are just stuck in port and that's an absolute perfect time to attack. Wow. So if we switch to an engine where we have to refuel significantly less, that lessens the amount of time that we're vulnerable, thereby reducing wow. casualties. Genius. Sold it. Sold it right there. Got the <sighs> approval that day. Wow. wow. Smart. And that's what lobbying is. It's solving <sighs> these puzzles so that your agenda is the most important thing that day to the member. And like the member understands that helps me, that helps my district, and I'd be a fool to say no to it. And that's how lobbying works. That's awesome. That's so well explained. And now just to to give us, our listeners and and me too, a a clearer picture. When you're doing this lobbying, um, is this a phone call? Do you travel to their jurisdiction? Like how does that work? So again, I was I was wholly public for a while. So most of my time, I would go from the Pentagon or from USPS HQ directly to Capitol Hill. I'd I'd meet people in their offices. I mean, I loved the phone call, but unfortunately, the personal touch can't be beat. You just you you get better results in person. So I would try for. God knows how long to get a meeting. Oftentimes I would get the chief of staff or the legislative director, but like when you, so occasionally you get the member, which is great. You obviously want the member because, you know, they're the boss. So right. you, 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 you make your case. It's like, Hey, I, I have this big 
postal issue that I really wanted to talk to you about. I want to talk to you like district, let you know what's going down, let you know what we're looking for and let you know like this, how this, how we can help you. Like, oh, this military issue is coming up really need your thoughts on it. Like your district builds submarines. I figured you should know about it and maybe you should support it. So oftentimes I would just take, the Pentagon has a shuttle that runs all day, go straight to the Pentagon, straight to Capitol Hill. Uh, and you just go in there in person, you walk the halls of Congress, which was very cool for me. I'm a big history yeah. guy. I'm not going to lie. There are definitely some moments where I would like be walking in the underground Senate tunnel and I'd tear up a little bit. Like, this is where LBJ walked. Oh my God. Really cool. not, I've never been cool a day in my life. Like, never, <laughs> never. And it, you know, you go up on Capitol Hill, you make, you do the face to face meeting and you get the result. That's how we well, do it. I want, I want to hear the story though. Oh yes. Oh my God. Yeah. Okay. So I was with the, I was with the Navy at the time. And we had, I was with my friend, Louise, who is one of the finest legislative affairs officials I've ever worked in my life. Shout out Louise Vitale, you're the best. And <laughs> we had just come from like a marathon day of lobbying. Like the, we were trying to get the NDAA through. It's, one, it's, it's the military's biggest deal. And we just did like a long day of lobbying. It's, it's like late August. It's hot. It's disgusting. I'm in, my, I'm in a suit. It's DC. And yeah. I'm just gross. I'm like, I am ready to go home. Let's just get out of here. But then out of the corner of my eye, I turn and I see John Lewis, the legendary yeah. John Lewis, civil rights hero, yeah. congressional stalwart. Like, I don't, again, I don't get starstruck. I don't really, I don't care about celebrities. I especially don't care about politicians. I thought, you know, yeah. it's like, this is a legitimate hero of mine. Yeah. And like, yeah. I tell Louise, we're going to miss this shuttle because I got to meet him. I got to meet John Lewis. So I run over there again. It's sweaty. I'm gross. I'm like, oh my God, John Lewis, you're the best. And like, I just start like crying and like Aww. sweating a bunch. It's so gross. And I'm like, you're the, you mean so much to me. Thank you so much for doing everything. And he's like, he's kind of like a little bemused. He's like, you know who I am? I'm like, of course I know who you are. You're John Lewis. I just like start reciting his own life to him. It's so <laughs> embarrassing. And the whole time he's like kind of laughing a little bit until finally, after letting me go on for entirely too long, he goes, dude, I'm Elijah Cummings. <laughs> oh, oh my God. How, he just let you go. <laughs> wow. Oh, that is fantastic like, if a genie had come out at that moment it was like i'm gonna give you three wishes like i like i only need one my wish is to die, just like to die. and like in my defense again i'm black i can say this those two guys look exactly alike and I, like google a picture of I'm them looking. together and you tell me which one is john lewis because i couldn't i couldn't at all but what, oh, what, what, wow. what saved it for me was like shortly after you know pulling my head out of my ass and apologizing profusely another black guy about my age comes up and says congressman lewis it's so nice to meet you <laughs> oh. it happens all the time they used to they actually used to do this as a joke they would go to each other's meetings just to fuck with people like oh, they yeah. absolutely would. there they are they do yeah, look yeah. very similar yeah, yeah. that's okay, john that's lewis fair. is on the right Oh, okay. Well, where were you in 2014 when I needed this insight? <laughs> there was there was one with him with Marco Rubio. It was a little easier to distinguish. <laughs> there. That it was is, amazing. That is hilarious. Um, and now, but before we get into your a little bit of your Hollywood journey, I, I just I have to ask because people love to rail against the political system in their country, and it's broken. It's broken. It's broken. 
because you were on the inside and you mm. saw how a lot of things work, is there something that you would suggest to say, like, we need to fix this part of it? This specific part needs fixing. You know, these are the thoughts that actively keep me up at night. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I've, I have spent so much time thinking about how to fix the American political system yeah. because there are so many different parts that need help. There are right. so many different outdated things. There's so many things that worked when it was a column, a, a 13 colonies that don't work for 50 states. Yeah, you know, Second each Amendment. one, don't even get me started. Yeah. Don't even. Get <laughs> don't me started. even. But like, it's not, there, there's no like one easy fix to it. There are a number of things that we need to do to get this place where it should be. I mean, we should we should absolutely get rid of the electoral college. Like we need the direct election of the United the president of the United States is an imperative to me. Absolutely. Is, yeah. There's no reason why the thing that decides how powerful your vote is should be your zip code. Like yes. there's the fact that people in Ohio who get to choose the president more than everyone else blows my mind. I have nothing That's against weird. the people of Ohio. It's just like there's nothing inherently different about Ohio that makes them more insightful or more or deserving of this unbalanced influence on who gets to be the president. It's obscene. Oh. And I'm a small state guy. Like the, the, the concern was originally, well, one of the concerns originally was like, well, if it's direct election of the president, they're not going to go to small states. The, the presidents are just going to go to big states and get the big votes. I don't care. Good. Get the hell out. You think I want to see Ron DeSantis in my home state? No, thank you. Go away. Get the fuck out. Obviously, that's one. And I would I, redistricting is a whole different issue. Like this, the way we draw our districts is so obscene. Like Franco and Stalin would be a gawk at the process. Like, wow. I wish I thought of that. Like, right. we, we just need to cut them up into numerically equal squares. That's it. You know, I don't care who lives there. It just needs to be the same number of people in, 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 no matter where you live. Like, just take that out of it. But ultimately what it really comes down to, like the biggest thing that I ever advocate for, and I'm going to get a little lofty here, so I apologize Please. in advance, but the founding fathers had a lot of many men. They had a lot of issues. They were rich, like, like rich 20-somethings who like didn't know shit about shit. And they just wanted to like dictate. They were not these gods, these paragons of virtue that we hold them up to be. But they, they made one simple ask. It's like, if we are going to give you democracy, the price of that is constant vigilance. You need to know what's going on in your country so that you can advocate for your needs and elect people who have your interests at heart and not their own. And what what ultimately every political issue comes down to the American voter. The American voter does not pay attention the way they should. They don't care. They don't have any empathy for their neighbor. And that is what makes a democracy fail. When you don't have, you know, a, a, an informed electorate with a caring heart, the whole thing goes to shit. And we as a people need to be better about knowing what's happening in every level of government. Yes, I know. I know it's exhausting to learn who your city councilor is, but you need to know because that's yeah. the person who directly influences the way you live. You need to know what's going on in your state government. You need to know what's going on in the federal government. I'm not asking you to know everything, but 
you need to be well informed about what is around you and who's who's doing the things that you hate so that you can vote them out. You need to be having these conversations with your neighbors, your family, your friends, and they're uncomfortable and they suck because most people don't want to be, uh, you know, they don't, have, they don't want their minds changed. But we're the only ones who can dig ourselves out of this ditch. Like the American voter is the one who chooses what direction we go in. Like every time... I look at another terrible Supreme Court decision. I remember the American voter who is like, oh, Hillary Clinton, the most qualified presidential candidate of our time. She's <laughs> yeah. a woman and scares me. I'm going to go with the right. reality TV show host. Yeah. Like, there has never been a time when the American voter was not responsible for what happened to them. Every time you can boil it down, it's the American voter who didn't do their job, didn't pay attention, didn't vote, didn't show up, didn't advocate for what was important. And then the people in power, like when you don't advocate for yourself, they see no need to pay attention to you. That's why lobbyists are so effective because we don't go away. We're always mm. there. I'm right. in your office all the time. I used to, they used to call me the most annoying man on Capitol Hill. <laughs> I, mean, I will show up. I will find you. Chief of staff, I will find your favorite restaurant. And you'd show up for lunch thinking you could escape me. I'd be right there with your favorite meal in hand, like right at the top. Let's, let's do this thing, man. Like yeah, this, it, It's a classic squeaky wheel gets the, gets the grease. And well, you see why he's writing for cartoons now. Yeah. <laughs> I, know. I know. Yeah. Thank God you're not up there helping us. What, what, so that was so well said. Yeah. I incredible. mean, I I haven't heard it, it put so well uh, probably in years. So what what can the American voters do to get themselves better informed? Or is it a lost cause now with all the, the terrible, you know, everybody's getting their news off Instagram and Fox News or whatever? Is, or is is there an opportunity for the American voter to get better informed. There's absolutely, it's, when there's life, there's opportunity. Nothing's a lost mm. cause till you're dead. You know, wow. and, you know it, the, it requires work. It does. It requires, you know, seeking out sources that aren't the ones that agree with you. Yeah, you know, right. my favorite thing about NPR is that sometimes I'll hear a story on it. I'm like, well, that, I don't like that. Well, that doesn't sound true. And then I'll check it out. I'm like, they're absolutely right. And I have to, I have to uh, acknowledge that my, my perceived worldview was incorrect. Things right. have changed. Things have shifted. And then come to come to grips with the fact that the truth may not align with what I thought, but this is the truth. Uh-huh. Um, you know, find, I'm not going to, I'm not a do your own research guy because there's many points where people shouldn't do their research. I, know. I shouldn't be doing any research about like COVID science because I don't know anything about science. I'm a political right. scientist, which is right. virtually useless. But <laughs> <laughs> like you, you, you need to go out of your personal way to separate your feelings from reality and find a cre- find cre- reliable credible sources i only re- npr obviously is the best in the game pbs mm-hmm. best in the game yeah uh, bbc is going through some issues right now but when it comes down to like the accuracy of the reporting they're fantastic al jazeera great stuff unless they're covering israel then it's all then it's just <laughs> don't even bother <laughs> like there's know. so many great news sources and government resources like congress.gov like you can look at a bill, you can read the text of the bill, and there's even a summary in layman's mm. terms. Because we know legislative drafting, I didn't do great in that class. Yeah. Those bills are hard. Those bills are yeah, hard right. to understand. But there's a summary where you can look at like what the context of a bill actually says, instead of letting Fox News tell you what a bill says, because they're yeah. going to lie to you. 
like uh, every news network is, has their own agenda, except for, you know, the, you know, the public broadcasters. And even they kind of have an agenda, but like, it's not like the Fox news agenda is get ratings, make Roger rich, you know, like yeah. th- that's right. always what it's going to be. Like you have to be the one to, be, you know, I, I be the, take that big step and be like, I'm going to look at this from a wholly objective viewpoint. And I've, no matter where the truth lands, I will follow the truth. Oh. It's a big investment. It really, it's a hard ask. But it's the only but way. Alec out. is ready. Alec is ready, ready to do me. it. This is the face of resolve right here. No, <laughs> I, I was going to say Al Jazeera made a fan for life and me with their exposing of Peyton Manning having HGH sent to his wife. So I believe Al Jazeera now, <laughs> except yep. on the Israel stuff. Well, anytime they're not covering Israel, they're pretty great. <laughs> yeah. It really does come down to doing what was asked of us originally that constant yes. vigilance going to those city council meetings talking to your city councilor emailing uh calling visiting your legislature when you your legislator when you have an issue like you don't have to be a lobbyist to see your your member you can go up to dc or the district office in your town at any time and voice your concerns and you know have those policy conversations learn a thing or two stand up for what you believe in and care about the people around you that's God. it. That's how you are, fix it. Are you sure you want to stay in comedy writing? Are you I sure? Know, you're so <laughs> I'm sure? I'm sure you're good at it, but you're fantastic at this. I yeah. mean, I wish everyone would just listen to the last 10 minutes of what you just yeah. said, because I think I mean, he can do both. I think he can make a fortune yes. doing this and then distribute it Katzenberg style. <laughs> <laughs> Katzenberg. Well, per- perhaps this is perhaps this is our segue into the strike because, you know, while we've been on strike, obviously, you know, I used to I used to work at DreamWorks, but I was working at DreamWorks and we went on strike. I was on the Mason Guild at the time. So I oh. could still work. And yeah. I would do I would do half days. I would go, I'd do my I was on a, an overall deal. So yeah. I could do my I could do half days there, you know, do my development stuff for the animation guild. And I'd go straight to the picket line immediately after that. And now that my deal has come to a close, gosh, something happened in early May where the studios were not so reluctant to renew all the overalls. Weird. <laughs> I don't wonder, yeah. <laughs> but you know, yeah, this is an expensive town to live in without income. So yeah. I've been I've been I've been holding on as long as I can because I'm a strike captain at Disney and also I want to be here for the win because God damn it we earned it and I unfortunately because my apartment complex decided that this 700 square foot place is worth far more than I originally paid for it every month I'm priced out I gotta go oh. so honestly after I'm done with this with you folks right now I have a job interview for another lobbying firm I'm, I, I have to go back to DC. To right. you know, do the only other thing that people are willing to give me money for. My right. OnlyFans didn't take off, so I got to do what I got to do. So but, this back. is why, I, like, I wanted to talk to you because you're having this experience now. When you know, when we started and we were fortunate enough to get in an, an era of these late night shows that were on every night, and then they ran the nights they weren't doing new episodes, and we got a residual payment. And we were able to stay in apartments and not have to go. So, what? explain in brief what what your experience has been from like getting a job and how many episodes you got and sort of how long that was able to float you financially and then you know how much anxiety you've had to live under because of that you know it's it i my path is very interesting because i came in again i come into industries at the worst possible time (laughs) I, i i got my first job on a disney channel show uh in 2019 and mm-hmm. it was september it was great it was the one of the greatest <laughs> employment experiences of my life oh, it's boy. that ideal room that we're all looking for the showrunners were kind 
and selfless and thoughtful mm. and encouraging. And they were great mentors who let us like see as much of the production process as they could let us see. It was wow. great. The room itself, the funniest, smartest, kindest, most supportive people you could ever ask for. The show was awesome. The, the actors were great. We wrote hilarious material. It was, it paid well, you know, it was, it was scale because, you know, I was, it was my first writing job, but scale to me was like, I mean, even as a, as a lobbyist, yes. I was like, this is pretty good. This is not <laughs> bad at all. And then um, March, 2020 comes around mm-hmm. and our showrunner is like, all right, everyone, you know, there's this little thing happening. Uh, we're going to take two weeks off <laughs> and then we'll be right back, right in the show. Make sure to wear those masks and stay inside. And we didn't come back to the writer's room until September. And yeah. then we had to do a virtual room. And, you know, those months without that, the, the employment, it was it was terrifying. But, you know, I had enough. In, I, I, I don't spend a lot, as you can see, by my very bare, very terrifying apartment. Um, I don't spend a lot of money. I, I, I grew up with immigrant parents who are always warning you that they can take it away from you at any time. Don't tell me who they is. It's a whole, it's a whole thing. But that, that kind of bred in me like save and invest save and invest save and invest which i did i i i i i like i i i love the good occasional you know extravagance but more often than not money goes into savings and then i invest it when i can so i can you moved away though like when we were talking you at one point just went to virginia i did and left i was i I, was cheaper there it was it was far cheaper than my los angeles apartment i had some dear friends who had a wonderful space for me or like here live here first for no money and then like a pittance of money if you really feel like giving us something which i did i'm a new englander the fact that someone's doing me a favor makes me want to like you know nothing worse like how how nothing more appalling than having than owing anyone anything it was truly 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 a nightmare but i stayed with them for a while and you know finally you know we 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 got back to writing the show. I was making money again, and I was living in Virginia, so it felt like making double the income right. I was I was making in California. So again, save and invest, save and invest. And then after the show came to a close, I didn't work for sixteen months, wow. and I was in Virginia at the time, which was great because again, I didn't have to spend a lot. But you know, I was watching the account, the savings account disappear slowly but surely, and I was like well, this is not sustainable. I don't know how this works. Like if I wasn't in Virginia, I'd be broke right now. I'd be bankrupt because the amount of money it takes to live in this city versus the instability of the employment, it doesn't match. It doesn't match at all. So there's no way I could have been unemployed in Virginia for 16 months. I'm sorry, in California for 16 months. There's no way I could have survived. Thankfully, I was in Virginia. Finally, I get the I get my next job over at DreamWorks Animation. It's a wonderful show. Same scenario. Great showrunners. Great writing staff. Great artists. I mean, I, I they, I've seen I've learned so much about like the production of you know a TV an animated TV show. My mind was blown. It was a great educational experience. It was better than grad school. Sorry, GSPM, but it was better <laughs> than grad school. And I finally felt some real ownership. Like, okay, I think my career is like finally after this this COVID hiccup. I think things are going to be okay. So we finished the show and I'm a little worried after that. But, you know, again, I have some money in savings after working the, the many weeks on the show. It's an animation guild contract, which is far worse than WGA contract. But, you know, again, I'm good with money. And they, <laughs> I, I, I get called up to the C-suite. They, they whine and dine me a little bit and they offer me an overall deal. I'm like, great. All right. We're on the up. This is fantastic. <laughs> so I stick around. I keep developing stuff. 
And then a strike happens. And then my overall is not renewed. And I'm looking at my bank accounts. Again, there's enough there to float me for a while, but I don't know when the next thing is going to come. So it would be it would be foolish of me to stay here, blow through my accounts, and then revert to zero again, hopefully, when the next job shows up. And that is the yeah. great frustration I keep feeling. It feels like every time I get started, I'm on a I'm on a good path. I'm I don't think I'm the greatest writer in the world, but I think I'm pretty good. You know, I you know, I, I think I'm doing the right thing. And the promise is supposed to be if you are able to do the job well, you will be okay. Like, it's not going to be sunshine and roses all the time, but you you will make a living. That's all I've ever asked and, for. And be able to stay in the city where it happens. Where the it fact, happens. Yeah. The fact that I have to jump across the country every time I'm out of work. Like, it's yeah. honestly, it's frankly embarrassing. Like, I'm 34 years old, and I have to run home to mommy and daddy, my friends, who are mommy and daddy. <laughs> I, I call them that. They're really uncomfortable with it. <laughs> I have to run home to mommy and daddy anytime I, I want to save money when I'm not employed. Like, it's embarrassing. It's frankly embarrassing. It yeah. worries me because I look at my contemporaries in, like, who used to be like, my former lobbying friends. How is this? children i don't want children sorry mom and dad i don't want children but you know like they, they they're they're making those 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 milestones like yeah. they're growing and i just feel like I, i'm on the wheel i just take i keep starting over i keep starting over like i have an overall and i feel like i had an overall i feel like i'm starting over it's crazy you know when i started therapy for the first time a, a lot of it was over the fact that I was married and had a kid and was in a one bedroom apartment and had been working for 15 straight years. <laughs> it was God. like, uh, this is absurd. I want to have my kid in a separate bedroom. <laughs> and I just felt like a, a failure. Like I'd go, you know, what what else am I supposed to do? Like I, you know, people would look at it and go, "No, you make this money." You go, it's like I can't even get into a house, um, and I. So I, I feel your frustration, so, man. So, to, so what to... you're saying is shit don't change. <laughs> yeah, well, That's no, it does. It gets to. worse. It gets worse <laughs> because you can't have the apartment and you don't have the kid. Yeah, exactly. So exactly. The, like that's <laughs> um, well, Dimitri. I mean, my God, we could talk to you for hours. You. Yeah. Uh, I've said some of the most interesting things I've ever heard on this podcast. Yeah. So, I mean, thank you. We know that right now it's a struggle, um, but we can say that, you know, this too shall pass. And it seems like you're a very funny and capable writer. So I can't imagine that going forward, you won't have, you know, you'll be able to keep this American psycho apartment and, <laughs> and, and proudly bring dates back there and watch them look around terrified. <laughs> I also, but, I also, in addition to, you know, he's become a good friend. I also want to give Dimitri the credit of really being a stalwart of the strike line and a WGA captain. Mm -hmm. And he's, always out there keeping the morale up and and putting in the the foot time which you know is <laughs> yes. very important so thank I, I don't you I don't well. like that you refer to it as foot time that just sounds like <laughs> well, again my failed only fans and that I'll, brings back some bad memories <laughs> you know I'll, as we know from comedy a lot of times it's just a blocked field goal when you when you open your mouth so. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll, 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 I'll save this at least before we get on out of here like I, I, these are not great times. They are scary times, but I am eternally hopeful because 
like I was saying about the American people, what I've, what I've asked about the American voter, to, what I asked them to do, I'm seeing that on the line every day. Like my big, my big ask for anything in public policy is just please give a shit and give a shit about other people. And that's mm-hmm. what you see on the line every single day. People who are like post-career, retired, like I'm out here because I had it good and you should too. There are people who are like, I don't know how to make, I don't know how I'm going to make my rent this month, but I'm here because I want you to make yours. Like we are all, the community out there is the most inspiring thing. And that's why I do continue to have optimism for this industry. Against all evidence, I continue to believe that this will be a viable career someday because the people who are living it are not going to take it lying down anymore. We finally, finally reached that point that I thought would never come where we're not going to take it is finally a song we're all singing, you know? (laughs) And when you, when you mess with a person who has nothing to lose, you're going to, you are going to lose. And at this point I'm leaving and the studio plot, you know, depending on who you believe was for this very scenario to happen. I would lose my apartment. I would leave and I would be like, Oh, please let's make a deal. This has only made me even more, more, adamant that we get what we deserve the fact that i have to go back and do my old job again makes me more <laughs> dedicated to this strike the, stu- the studio strategy failed yeah oh no i don't have to live in california anymore uh, for a little bit that's not the worst thing that's ever happened to me the worst thing that could happen to me is not being able to do this job anymore and if it means that i have to go back to dc and glad hand a little more and make more money than i would be doing if i was on a show <laughs> for the animation guild that's a worthy sacrifice i can make so i say let's go out let's get this bag let's win this strike and let's write some good shows again Woo-hoo! holy shit wow <laughs> well you've just earned all three votes right here unbelievable <laughs> that's so well said god dimitri Thank you so much for being here with us today. I can't tell you how much uh, we've all enjoyed it. Goldie, way to go. You bring some awesome guests. So (laughs) thank you so much and and good luck. And we will be checking back with you to see how it all turned out. Dimitri, thanks for being here. Thank Thank you you. for having me. It was an absolute joy. Please have me back. I love this show. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that was fun. That was fun talking to Dimitri. Uh, Good get, Goldie. It is nice to hear a different perspective uh, on the uh, business of writing. Back to the same old perspective next week, folks. (laughs) 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 That's right. Um, All right, but now we've arrived at a portion of the show we like to call Top 5. Top 5. Oh, we sound great. Okay, so this was my list this week, and it is top five most punchable faces. Boy, these were fun to look at. Okay, I'll get right into it. Number five, I'm I'm going to guess we have overlap with this one. Number five, I have Ted Cruz. Yeah. Uh, no. Yeah, yeah overlap. Ted Cruz. Yeah, we, we all know what he looks like. Yeah. Yeah, we're we're doing a thing where we're looking at them visually. There it is, boy. <laughs> it's so <Yeah>. punchable. <laughs> that's and that's not just one punch, folks. No. Okay, number four. That's a stompable face. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> Curbable. We should have done that. Curbable faces. Okay, number four is an actor. His name is Jack Gleason. Two E's. Let's look at him. Yes. Oh, <laughs> yeah. the, he played the king, yeah, young king. King Joffrey on oh, uh, Game boy, of yeah. Thrones. Good one. And by the way, speaking of Damien Fahey, I'm getting a little Fahey vibe from the middle oh, the middle with the mustache there. 
Yeah, he because he looks like the Mater D from Ferris Bueller, which is also oh really yeah. Well, okay, that mustache. number three, and this was the the man who inspired this choice. Mm. He could be number one, but number three, I have. Martin Shkreli. <laughs> yes. Yes. One of the most punchable faces oh, in look human at that. history. Holy. Pharma bro, Martin yep. Yep. Shkreli. Yep. Uh, number two in Goldie, I was very curious if you're going to have this on your <laughs> list as well. <laughs> number two, I have, I, I guess society has made this true, <laughs> Josh Comers. <laughs> so this is our friend. In full disclosure, right? Josh Comers, and he <laughs> randomly has at least twice been just punched in the face by a That's stranger so in New York City. That's so weird. So he does not we, have that punchable. His we face he, we like have punchable. to include him on the list just based on the facts. <laughs> that is I mean, happened. he's probably been punched way more than Ted Cruz, which is amazing. Right. Um, okay, and number one, uh, I mean, I could have gone a couple ways uh, with in this family with this one, but I went with Donald Trump Jr. Ooh, yeah. he was the almost number on my one list. most punchable face. Yeah, there's some overlap. Yeah, yeah. I Although oh, maybe not. Look at maybe that I'll, face. I'll adapt. <laughs> look at that yeah. mug. Look at that mug. All right, JC, what do you got? Okay, we do have overlap. Um, yeah. My number five is. Oh, yeah. Going Zuck. to the ring. <laughs> that Mark. is a very punchable face. Mark Zuckerberg. There he I is. I hate his hair so much. <laughs> and I say this as someone with no hair. That like, what? It's it so looks weird. like it was kind of drawn on or snapped on like a Lego. <laughs> snapped on, really? <laughs> like he has these terrible bangs like an ingenue would have. <laughs> ingenue? <laughs> but... Uh, God, I yeah, he sucks. He looks he looks like a low value coin from ancient times. <laughs> oh, wow, yes, he does, he does oh like a God. half penny r- piece from ancient Rome. <laughs> yes. Oh my lord! Yep, there it is. Profile. Yeah, he has that that sort of sickly Caesar haircut. <laughs> um, okay, this one is because I want to punch him in the face for what he did to Rihanna. Chris Brown. Chris I would Brown. Love, he yeah. has a very punchable face. What he might he punch me back. He Not beat kidding. her up. <laughs> what <did he> do? <laughs> I was like, what? Yeah, I, I mean, he might hit me back, but I would be fine with it I, if I could just punch him in the face. Yeah. Okay. Asshole. <laughs> my number three. Yes. Uh, did I say he's number four? If I said yeah. two. Okay. Uh, my number three is. Ron uh, DeSantis. Yes. Look yes. at the face. Look at it. Just yeah. look at it. So punchable. Yeah, very, very punchable <laughs> face. My number two is overlap, Ted Cruz. Yeah, baby. Boom. Boom. And my number one is also overlap, which is yeah. Martin Shkreli. Shkreli. I love that you had him. <laughs> yeah, yes. he's, he's, he's the, first he's one the inspiration. Yes. Uh, okay, Goldie, I'm going to try to avoid overlap. Ooh. <laughs> because it's not it's not interesting <laughs> um, if we all say the same one. So I'm going kind of on the fly here. Okay, okay. okay. Um, and, and first of all, a couple uh, – I want to qualify a couple things. Yeah. Uh, I There are all these, like, people who exist in the conservative world, Twitter world, who I, I just don't want to say their names and give them any recognition. But yep, yep, if you're yep. thinking about them, they're punchable. Now, <laughs> a, a second uh, – point I want to make is a lot of people, Alec, think I'm going to say you, I bet. Like, they think I'm going to make a joke and say, Alec Sulkin is a punchable face. And I, 
you are a slappable face. <laughs> oh my like, god! You want I, I you I want to slap you and watch the glasses go askew. Oh my god! I don't want to punch you and break my finger on your nose. Oh so god. I'm not. You're not on the list. Oh my god! Oh, Goldie, that's so nice. And I, I held okay. back asking if you when you travel through Chicago if you go to Nohara Airport. I held oh. back. Oh. I held this back. Is why, this is why you get this... slapped. <laughs> Okay, Uh, here we go. Uh, Number five, I'm going to go with Jeffrey Epstein. Yes. Yes. Sure. So smug. Rest in peace. So smug. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Maybe. Uh, Me might be gone. Oh, right. Number four, I will go with Keith Olbermann. Oh, really? Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, He was pretty, you don't like the smug. Slash Bill Maher. I think oh. it's it's like the really a, a tie the between smug those gets two. You. Like, yeah, <laughs> I mean, because they really have kind of the same face. Yeah, right, not a, right, not a great one. Right. Uh, number three, I'm gonna go with Phil Mickelson. Oh, oh that's a great wow. choice. I see. love that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, number wow. two, A Rod. Oh, oh God! I wish I had thought of that. That's Just a good one. One of oh the most because there's like a little plumpness there that feels <laughs> like your fist would be met with a pillowy <laughs> resistance. Your fist might disappear. And number one, just maybe the most punchable face of all time, Alex Jones. Oh, oh yeah. yeah! Wow! Yeah. Look at yeah. it! It's yeah. begging. That's a good, that's Just a good so list. much face. Wow. All right. We worked out some anger today. I'm glad I only get a slap. Yeah. Um, All right, Goldie, so it's you for next week. What do you got? Yeah. So, again, this is one of those topics that takes a slight bit of thought and nuance. It's the top five movies you're avoiding seeing. Oh, I love that. These aren't, like, movies that you just haven't seen somehow. But these are ones that, like... You know you're supposed to watch. They're eyeing your queue. You, yeah. You've had the screener for 15 years, and you just if if some but if someone at any given moment says, "Hey, how about we watch this?" You just say, "No." Nah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Okay. Okay. That's a great list. I love That's it. Really yeah. It's a thinker. It's a thinker. <laughs> it's a little bit of a thinker. Um. All right. Well, I look forward to that next week. Yes. And and JC, who do we have next week uh, as a guest? Next week it's Andrew Goldberg. Andrew Goldberg, co-creator of Big Mouth, former Family Guy writer. We worked with him for years. We're excited to talk to him next yes. week. Uh, and now let's end the show, as we always do, on a high note. <laughs> Thank you, Tom and Max. Uh, I'll spit mine out quickly. Uh, maybe you've heard this song before, but my high note this week, again, is... Uh, it has a slash. It's tall slash communication. I think we're, I know Goldie's <laughs> eyes are, he wants to slap me right now. But we, honestly, we're, we're about to move, so it's stressful. We've mm-hmm. had guests here all summer, also stressful. Yeah. And we've had a couple of situations that could have easily devolved into uh, a, a nasty arguments, and they have not because we are communicating better, and I appreciate that. She's listening, and I'm listening to her, so that uh, has been going great. So 
Great job, Tal. Do, are you guys still duding? Are you say? Are no, you still... we the dudes have been left in the dust. That was a, a bridge <laughs> measure that got us through a tough time, and Amazing. now we're 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 talking to it's each like other um, as sexual partners. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> Go ahead, Goldie. Uh, so I love sports documentaries, yeah. and we're just in a golden month of these. There's Hard Knocks on HBO. Yep. There is on Amazon Prime a documentary about G League basketball oh. that Ooh. has been great. And there's a, I think, four-part documentary about Bill Walton on ESPN+. Plus. Yeah. And this is all in oh. my wheelhouse, so I yeah. have just been like a pig in shit. <laughs> well, but, and you skipped the biggest one. What was that? The, the Jonathan football Oh, the Johnny Football one on yeah. Netflix. Yeah, yeah, that was oh, excellent. Excellent. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I gotta watch that. I didn't Very realize. Fun to watch. Yeah, and as okay. I told Alec, like the career parallels to me are. <laughs> really. <laughs> it felt very personal. Yeah, wow. it's like the kind of early, maybe impressive moment followed by just nothing. <laughs> no, <laughs> not true. Not you. And not now true. I'm. A, and now a dealing me with me is a problem for everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> like what's going to happen for the rest of his life? <laughs> um, okay, well, I like that high note. Um, my high note is dedicated to my friends that I play video games with. Yeah. Many nights that would be Jess and Chad and Neil and Lex and of course Stu, but he's out of town. They are a source of so much fun and uh, sometimes they're just good to help me take my mind off things. So I'm very grateful for them. So That's nice. Yeah. That's nice. What's the game you're playing? Call of Duty. <laughs> oh, I love that. So, yeah. yeah. They're, all, they're all in Canada. And, oh, that uh, was one of my better stand-up bits, I always thought, is that oh. uh, my dad fought in World War II. <laughs> I couldn't even finish Call of Duty for Xbox. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So then I would, it led to some awkward calls where I would say, hey, Dad, when you... When the Germans were protecting that munitions plant, and there's like those four guys on the left, it, did you hit X? <laughs> That's a good bit. Yeah. Solid bit. Solid. Uh, all right. Well, those are great high notes. That was a great show today. Thank you all for listening. Thank you, too, for being awesome. Thank and you. we will talk to you again next week. Will we, though? <laughs> That was fun. And it stops right now. That's a diarrhea. <laughs> <laughs>